This is the Misdirected Mark Podcast, a podcast about gaming, game mastering, and entertaining you, our listeners. We are explicit, you have been warned, and I'd like to thank Mike Willard for letting us use his music on our show. Now let's pick up those mics and get on with this thing. This week's episode is brought to you by the number 522 and the letters M, M, and P. And welcome to the 522nd episode of the Mr. Mark podcast. Tonight we discuss making good intercharacter conflicts in your tabletop role-playing games. But first, my name is Jerry. I'm Chris. And I am Old Man Logan. And this is apparently Sesame Street now. Sunny days, Hank knows. There's a way. Is it dancing those clouds away? On my I way. I don't remember because I haven't watched it in 300 years. Won't you tell me how to get how to, to get, get to Mr. X Mark Street. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Bad. So let's do some announcements real quick. First off, Phil's not here again because he's still on vacation. We record these things in batches. So, you know, it's the second episode that we're recording in a week when he's not here. Batches. We don't need those stinking batches. I think we do. Yeah, we do actually. Yeah, okay. It's working out really well yeah, for I giving know. us time off. I know. Yes. That's great. Second thing, you, know, you could, you could, you know, be a patron for our patreon and patronize us we'd appreciate that we looked it up last week we had the definition last time we love being patronized yeah we do you can get the after show the bamboo lounge for the lowest entry cost or a little bit more money you can get all of our children of the shroud stuff so Mm -hmm. you know like behind the screen and our character sheets and maybe we'll even start releasing some of the play summaries i think jerry's been writing notes very well Thank you. you. I appreciate that. Yeah, Jerry's good at taking I try. Notes. I read them, so yeah. we can give you those things, too, so you can catch up if you're behind. Although there's only, like, three stories out there right now, so it's not that hard to catch up. It's only about, like, six hours of content. And they're edited. Yes. All right. And don't suck. Please. Yeah, don't suck. Please don't suck. We can't do it without Phil, right? Workshop, just, just workshop, a, just imagine pretend that, I'm Phil, yeah, workshop. Yeah, just imagine that Phil said something like, you know, oh, Bob and Chris are funny with each other, but they're not really funny with each other. Oh, it's great. Oh, workshop, don't suck. <laughs> workshop, workshop. People are arguing again. Workshop, workshop, workshop. workshop. It's something like that, everybody. Anyways. <laughs> All right. There are times in tabletop role-playing games that a little conflict or stress between characters can lead to good role-playing. Minor distrust, misunderstandings, competition, and sometimes interfering with each other's plots can all be fun, but only if they're handled properly. Now, we're not talking about direct PvP here. That's not, that's not what no. this is about. No. Characters actively attacking and deliberately foiling each other's plans can become both frustrating and detrimental to party cohesion. Nobody wants that. Nope. Well, some people do, but... I guess some people do, but, you know, in the worst cases, those PvP... Conflicts can spill from character conflicts into player conflicts. Oh, yeah. And that's never good for the game. I don't think, anyway. I don't think it is either. No. See your Amber campaign. Scars, man. Scars. So, look. How do we make for good character conflicts without disrupting the story and the adventure or spilling into PvP? Well, in both our Cortex Prime games, Ox and Children of the Shroud, the players have worked with GM, Phil in this case, uh, to create good and fun intercharacter conflicts that don't disrupt the game. So we use safety tools and out-of-character discussions to make this stuff work. That is very important for us. Very important. I often check in with Bob before I start saying something very, very uh, un 
uncouth, I suppose, is the yeah. best <laughs> place to put that word. Yeah. All right. But before we get deeper into this discussion, it's time for some definitions. We got, we got a definition panda here. We do. Behold, you are in the presence of Definition Panda. Definition one is character. This is from Webster's Dictionary. The first one is a representation of an individual personality in a fiction or dramatic work. Number two is the personality or part which an actor recreates. For our purposes, this is going to be the representation of a player in the game. Now, number two is player, and Webster defines that as one that plays, such as a person who plays a game or an actor. And this would be the people playing in our tabletop role-playing game, including the GM. Mm. The GM is a player. Makes sense. And finally, we have conflict, defined by Webster's as competitive or opposing action of incompatibles or the opposition of persons or forces that gives rise to the dramatic action in a drama or fiction. So this can be anything from a disagreement or debate to outright fighting. Now, when done right, these friendly conflicts can focus on non-combat and are more about role-playing opportunities. However, these sorts of things always have to be done with the consent of the players involved. I agree. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Now, fam. All right, fam. Let's get some examples in there, fam. Let's go. Yeah. All right. In Aux, which is our Cortex Prime Geniuses in Space game, there have been several running conflicts. The first is between Chris's character, Tam, and Jerry's character, Gree. My character, Tam, is varied by the book. I need to focus on the rules and patterns. When they get outside of that, it drives me up a wall. Now, Gree's the opposite. He's an impulsive bioscientist who likes to apply new ideas before fully testing them. Often by testing them on an injured Tam. Would you please take that poly away from my face? I am not breathing in that spore. <laughs> Anyways, the number of side effects and unexpected secondary complications that have occurred has led to Tam openly expressing his distrust of Gree many times. Many, many times. Yes. And of course, criticizing Gree's process, which I do fairly often. Not as much, not as much these days, but in those like 10 to like... 18 game sessions the, the those sessions not so much i was yeah. not not it's a getting better player. yeah getting better it works well so while this can sometimes interfere with the party accomplishing goals quickly and can lead to arguments between the characters it's still kept light and fun between the players yes absolutely and that's because everybody agreed to make it a discussion not an actual fight whenever i'm being criticized by tam i realize it's character to character not chris criticizing me and we react accordingly what this added to the game was more chances for the characters to have conversations and work on evolving their personalities, which has been very good in our Aux game. Now, in Children of the Shroud, you'll hear that there was a complication for, from a pair of ones rolled during a test. So, with the player's permission, the GM took both of those and created a conflict. This resulted in a conflict between Chris's character Silas and my character Gunny. A discussion they were having turned into an argument that both players turned into a heated conflict. And then both these characters worked at resolving that conflict in character while still using that argument to create dramatic tension. There was, I think I swore at Gunny. I, I think I said, fuck yeah. off. Uh -huh. yeah. yeah, I'm pretty sure that's what happened. Yep. So what this did is this added a chance for the characters to discuss their backstories more as reasons for their conflict, but also give the GM more hooks for the ongoing adventure. So how do we make this happen at the table? Okay, well, how do we do that? I don't know. Jerry, tell me. Well, first, you have to make sure that all parties are comfortable with intercharacter conflict. Not all people are. That makes sense. Yes, you need to look for informed, enthusiastic consent. You know, I want to talk about this for a second. Yes. Now, this wasn't a player conflict thing, but I was playtesting with Jerry last night mm -hmm. as of this recording. Todd Crapper's new role-playing game, Killshot Syndicate, which is uh, GM supposed to be GMless and about crime families. Mm -hmm. So we were talking about the kind of crimes that we wanted to commit, 
and it came up that we were going to be a gam like in the in the gambling rings and whatnot. But I was like, is that it? Like, are we going to lean on families because we're a crime family, right? Like, one of the ways that you get leverage on people is by leaning on them for any number of reasons. Mm-hmm. Ange was playing that game, and she said she's okay with it, but it wasn't really like her wheelhouse and this, that, and the other thing. Like, she wouldn't mind it. I'm like, well, that's not informed, enthusiastic consent. So let's not do that. Yep. Like, it was my idea, but like I wasn't married to it, so I was like, well, we don't need to do that. Exactly. If you have enthusiastic consent all the way around then everybody's clearly on board and it, it, I feel like it's going to work better. It's going to flow better. If you've got one or more people that are like, eh, you know, it's so, like, I'll do it, but, you know. I don't even want that As soon game. as you start waffling, it's like, try and see if you can find something else that makes everybody go, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Because it'll just make for a better game, I think. The yeah, like, absolutely. If you're the only person that's excited about that, there are other players at the table, and believe me, if you want the game to be really good, you need the other players to also be on the same page as you and at the same level of excitement as you are. Yep. Yes. All right. Anyways, uh, where were we? We were like, oh yeah. So if you as a player are on board, you need to give that enthusiastic consent, which we just talked about how that yeah. didn't get given. Yeah. So for example, if, if one of the players is like, well, what if we did this? Definitely, man. That would be fun. Well, there's, there's some enthusiastic consent right there. Make sure people know that you're enthusiastic about it. Even if you are, say something about it. Don't just sit there and go, yeah, okay. Go, yeah, let's do that. That immediately tells everybody else you're on board. The next thing you want to do is look for ways to incorporate the conflicts into the game as a role-playing endeavor. Man, the number of times that I've minorly insulted Gree and sometimes Alpharum lately about his alternate way of the way he likes to get things done, which, like, Alpharum in that Ox game is, is essentially Tam's brother, even though one of them is a, a, sen- a sentient standing walking sloth and the other one is a, a moti, which is essentially a human being. Yeah. Yeah. But we were both genetically created by our, uh, uh, the same kind of people. So we're like distant cousins. Yeah. Yeah. And they fight like distant cousins. We do fight it's like wonderful. distant cousins. You have to understand that distrust has to be something that doesn't actually lead to the group missing their goals. Intercharacter conversations that can lead to reveals, character growth, backstory hooks are always better than simple arguments. Yeah. When a situation arises that leans on the conflict, both players and even other bystanders should use that as an opportunity to role play. The number of times that Tam has commented to Gree about, I don't think that's a good idea, or I'm not sure you want to, you want to test it that way. And then Bob, as Alpharum, jumps in with another comment, even though he's not even part of the argument, but comments on things that have happened in the past, or maybe comes up with a better suggestion. Like, you know, maybe we should practice this out where it's safe, or keep Gree from practicing it on himself, one of the <laughs> two. But even though the conflicts between Tam and Gree, Alpharum as a bystander gets a chance to interact and, conver- and converse as well, get involved and everybody will have more fun with it. And we actually make that way easier in Aux because we're all on connected comms with mm-hmm. each other. Yeah. Unless somebody explicitly says, for this moment, I'm going to turn my comm off for mm-hmm. X reason. Normally, somebody saying something, doesn't matter where they are, they can hear the conversation that's going on. And then it's very easy for us to jump in and be like, yeah, Gree, you said that last time. <laughs> Here's me rolling my eyes. Mm. It is hilarious. And the flip side of that is sometimes when it does sound like something that might just be personal, somebody else will ask something like, is that on comms for everybody? And it says, yeah, well, then I'm going to say this. Or, no, it's not. Okay, then I'll hold off on that. So that we still make sure that everybody's having fun, but it stays within the story. When you have a question, ask questions. Communication's key. The next thing you need to do is once you've got this conflict in the game, Always look for ways to mend that conflict. Yeah, so when creating and playing intercharacter conflicts, you need to make certain that the situation is never moving towards breaking the party up. 
Or if it is, you've talked about it already. Like that is the higher stakes play. All right. Do we want to take this story to its uh, a, a very dark conclusion where like we stop being friends for a period of time and then have to like come back together at some point? Mm-hmm. Or do we want to just mend this thing now or by the end of the session? And there's been times when Phil's been like, it's fine if you guys are going to fight with each other as long as you guys find a way to get back together. And I'm like, yeah, that's fair. Like, I, I don't want the game to like fall apart because of this. Right. Because yeah. that's not my intent. My intent is to create drama because a lot of our games have started to play out like those CW dramas in a lot of <laughs> in a lot of ways. Like even <laughs> even the sci-fi stuff. If you've ever watched a sci-fi show that goes on long enough, you start getting that that interpersonal drama stuff. Oh, yeah. It's just been going on for too long. The next thing though is that everybody involved should use discussion and safety tools constantly to keep it fun for everyone. Chris mentioned that all the time he says, you know, are you okay with this before he jumps into something? And that makes a big difference because then everybody feels good about it. Yeah, absolutely. Because you wanted to put the star on the ship. Yeah, I wanted to create <laughs> a, or capture a proto star and yeah. use it for propulsion, use it for energy production on the ship. And Tim was devotedly against it because it's like, you're going to put a star in our friend because Ox is a character. Yeah, Ox is a sentient ship, so... Chris thought it was cool. Like, I'm like, oh, I don't care. You want to put a star on the ship? It's fine with me. I don't care. Alpha's whole mindset was, look, I've got it figured out so that it's safe. Like, I'm not going to blow up Ox. I figured that part out. Yeah, I get you. (laughs) Because I'm smart. You are. But we found a different way. In Alpha's defense, Alpha's experiments tend to work positively much more often than Grease do. (laughs) Which is part of the fun of the intercharacter conflicts in this crew. Yeah, yes. man. Th- it was weird, too, because that's the first time that Alpha did something that I was, that Tam was like, I don't know that that's a good idea. Every other time, I was all on board with it. Yeah. That one was like, you're going to blow up our friend? Which, again, was interesting because with Gree's track record, you're like, oh, no, no, you're hesitant. But with mine, all of a sudden, you started questioning me. And it's yeah. like, dude- I'm good at this. Like, <laughs> is this the first time you decided was, to do something that was going to threaten somebody that actually mattered to us? Yeah. Exactly. It, yeah. had, it had way higher stakes yep. and you rightfully called me on it, mm-hmm. which that was a great scene. That, that scene actually lasted, I think, for three adventures. Three, three sessions. Three, three sessions. Yep. Discussion. Yep. And, and it was funny every time. All of this is to say that there's a danger that a bad inner character conflict can turn into PVP or bog down the plot and just break everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. This kind of stuff, I actually like that it exists in our games now and we can play with these kind of things because it's a fine line to walk for a lot of people. There is a lot of pitfalls that can come with playing like these kind of games with these kind of moments in them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We talk about the idea that I like to play games and facilitate games where I am often doing things that you're not supposed to do in role-playing games because it challenges me. It's a thing that's exciting for me. I think this actually sits in that space of like, this is a high risk, high reward situation yeah. as mm-hmm. a game master and a bunch of players. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> all the things that we've talked about before will help you pull it off. Like, this is why safety tools are important. This is why pause and rewind and things like that are important. This is why checking in is really important because you can have this kind of play. And that's why after a scene like that, you can, I, I often am like, are you okay with what just happened? And people say it to me too sometimes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You can do these things by following some of the rules that we've, we've kind of laid down here. Now remember, as a GM and as a player, if everybody's having fun with it, even if this kind of conflict temporarily de- derails the story a little bit or slows it down to a slower pace, that's okay as long as everybody's having fun. Sometimes these asides, as long as everybody's on board, can make for a great game session, even if there's not a lot of dice being tossed. Yeah, and when a conflict has run its course, find a reason to end the conflict in an amicable way. Now, what that means is, a conflict has started. There is some building tension that goes along with that conflict. Hopefully you have found some point of 
uh, release to that tension. And even if you have to stop, pause the game briefly and be like, all right, you know what? I'm not 100% seeing how to close this one out. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. how do you think we're going to put this to bed and, and get back on each other's ter- good terms? Yeah, or how are we going to move this thing into a different space? Yeah. That actually happened during Ox. The end of that thing was we got to a point where Tam and Alpha weren't in the same headspace for was this a safe or unsafe situation until Alpha took extra safety precautions and changed his plans. They talked to Ox about how Ox felt about it, and Tam got to resolve it. They talked about what it was going to take to come to an end of this conflict one way or the other. And it was an active choice by the players and the GM. That's why it worked. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. There was yep. the other one that came after that, too, where uh, I failed a, failed a role, and then Alpha didn't, didn't trust me, and I hadn't been wrong once in, like, yep. 20 sessions. <laughs> yes. That one was a bumpy one, because I wasn't not trusting Tam. I was not trusting the equipment, but it, it felt to Tam, very rightly so, that I was not trusting Tam. And that created the whole thing. And it took us a while to, to scrape the edges off of that one. Mm-hmm. But we finally forget how to close that one down and like, okay, here we go. And we, and we put that to bed safely and, and, and cleanly. But it's, it was fun. Those were fun moments in the game. Closing out the conflict in an amicable way can often be done consciously as a series of goals that the players want their characters to achieve. Mm-hmm. And it just helps by talking about that. Yes. Conversation. If you want a, a good example from our um, Children of the Shroud game. Yeah. When you were trying to calm me down, there were a couple of things that happened there. One of them was you were going to try to talk me down, but you hadn't gotten to the point of what was actually wrong with me. Yes. I was angry, but I was angry because Morris got killed or Morris died. Yes. And in in my opinion, got killed. Yes. And he did. Yeah. So once you found that out, it lets you make a role to take it to the next step. Yeah. And in narrative terms, I understood better what you were angry about Mm -hmm. so I could make my counter argument to calm you in a way that made more sense. Yeah. It made the story beat feel better. Yes. Is I guess the best way to put it. Like mm-hmm. the, the, the fiction made more sense. Yep. So then we moved on to me, us being angry at each other, like the, the tension between the two of us. Yep. Which then led to us being down by the, the, uh, the waterfront, mm-hmm. which then you were like, I wanted to go off the handle, especially when I found out my dad was working with your dad. <laughs> yeah. Cause yeah. That is working outside of the shroud, out of the, outside of the veil. Mm-hmm. And then I drove away. And then to resolve it, I drove back around. Yep. And like, fine, I'll do it your guy's way. Which was, I thought, a fun set of sequences. Oh, yeah, definitely. Without breaking the party apart and with having that interesting little story arc inside of it. Absolutely. Once again, if you haven't heard, which, you know, we try to say it as much as we can because, you know, it's important to us. It is important We have a Patreon campaign. We do. And we would love it if you would patronize us. And yes, we know it sounds funny when we say that, but look it up. It's valid. <laughs> it's valid. There you can go. get a ton of really cool stuff yeah. when you patronize us. Get, get some extra podcasts, some behind the screen stuff from Phil, the after show, the Bamboo Lounge, stuff from the Trill of the Shroud game, character sheets, uh, Jerry's summaries of our games. Man, there's a plethora of stuff in there. Now let's move on to some roundtable discussions by starting with some questions. Yes, we like the roundtable questions. Hey, look. How do you avoid the pitfalls of inter-character conflict? Don't be a dick. Rule number one. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Will. DBAD, baby. Mm-hmm. Don't be a dick. Good old Will Wheaton. Yep. Don't be a dick. I'm the sure somebody Wheaton else. The Wheaton rule. Uh, yeah, the Wheaton rule. Is that, is, it is actually the Wheaton rule. It is actually it? the Wheaton rule, yeah. yeah. 
Don't be don't a dick. Be a dick. Yep. That's really like the crux of it all. Um, we said a bunch of the stuff already, right? Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. Talk to each other. Yes, have a conversation. Decide what you want the arc of this intercharacter conflict to be. Actually, I think it's really hard to, unless you're like really good friends with the people that you're playing with and you've done a bunch of this stuff, mm-hmm. it's hard to have these kind of intercharacter conflicts that don't get weird or unless you're like very good at playing that way that don't have meta conversations around them. Mm-hmm. Like if you're just playing in that character level all the time or that character foci, as we like to call it mm-hmm. these days, it can be really hard to figure out if you're actually mad at the person or mad at the character. Yeah, that's an excellent point. If you're uh, playing a game with someone that you're not familiar with and you decide you want to create some intercharacter conflict or they create some intercharacter conflict with you, that is an even bigger reason to make sure you're, you're looking at your safety tools, you're having meta conversation so that you understand completely where you stand with that person. In a situation like the table we're, we're sitting at right now, me, Chris, and Jerry, mm-hmm. we could just bring something up on the fly and we know pretty solidly what we're doing and we, I, we're almost guaranteed to be like, yeah, this is all character. I'm not mad at Chris. Mm-hmm. I'm not mad right. at Jerry. Like this is a character thing and we're doing this for a reason. Hopefully it's fun. And if it's not fun, we're going to call each other on it. Mm-hmm. Like, yep. hey, where are you going with this? Because I'm not feeling it. Whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but if it's somebody that you're not familiar with, tread lightly with it. Yeah, tread lightly. And you can do all those things like, you can just, before you do it, ask. Like, yeah. Are we cool with inter-party conflict or not? Because I'm pretty sure Ange is not cool with it as a player. Like, if I was playing in a game with Ange and I said, inter-party conflict, she's like, not really my thing. I only yeah. know that because I had a talk with Advantage and I've heard them say that a bunch of times. I'm not even sure if Jerry would be okay with it. I don't think that's the kind of games that the, the two of them like to play. They will be on board with it. Yeah. I'm pretty sure Sendu would probably be on board with it. Sure. Like, like run through the network of hosts on the show. Yeah. On the shows. I don't know. I've never played a game with Monica, so I have no idea. But yeah, like just ask, right? Mm-hmm. Like yep. I would just, I would ask Monica before I did anything like that because I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's how you avoid some of those pitfalls. Asking yep. a question helps a lot. Having safety tools on the table really does help a lot. Yes. Having pause and rewind from script change is some of my favorite things. Yes, definitely. Also, if your lines and veils involve interparty conflict, then obviously you don't want interparty conflict yeah. in your game. Right. That's an important thing from session zero. If you, if you establish that right out of the gate, then you know where you're not going. So how do we make good inter-character conflicts, Jerry? Well, I think first of all, always look to start with what's going to be fun for everybody involved. That should always be your first question. Is this going to be fun for everybody involved? After that, then look at a way to make it part of what's happening in the game in a way that's not going to undo something somebody else is doing in the game. For example, Tam telling Alpha, I don't think it's a good idea for you to build that protostar, didn't actually stop us from doing something. It said, okay, is there either a better way to do this or should we be talking about the good and bad of it? Now, in character, Yes, he was saying to Alpha, don't do that. But as a player, he was saying, what are we thinking about about this? And is this a good idea from an ethical or moral standpoint? And that led to discussion. But at no point did he actually look over at Bob and say, yeah, don't do that. And that makes yeah. the, that, that's really, I think, the best way to start with a good intercharacter conflict. You know, we almost had that happen in our D&D game on Friday when uh, one of the characters was like, don't go do that. And, and then somebody says, I don't think you understand how this works. And I almost had to stop the game until you guys worked it out yourselves. That was me. I yeah. remember. Yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, and in retrospect, I probably could have handled it a little better. We were playing with somebody at the table that 
probably doesn't know some of the techniques that we're talking about. We probably should have stopped the game to like being like, all right, if this is a problem, let's talk about it and see what the story is. Mm-hmm. I could have stopped it too. I was yeah. watching it, but I was wanted to see if you guys could work it out yourselves because I'm that kind of person. And I feel like we, we, we came to a, a pretty quick solution to it. I guess I could talk about this now, how to make good inter-character conflicts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Look, I'm, I'm a big believer in find a conflict that is personal but not detrimental to the advancement of the story. For instance, with Alpharum's shield generator, it wasn't really stopping us from advancing the story because there was nothing that we really needed it for. Yeah. I mean, I figured eventually we would get it too because it seemed like a cool idea. Mm-hmm. Then I try to find reasons to be at odds with other party members, but not enough to make you not want to keep doing whatever your game is about. Once again, the thing with that, we weren't, it wasn't stopping us from doing the things that we were doing going around the galaxy solving problems right we were still being super scientists and the entire time i was questioning alpha about those things i was i was always asking like yeah what's your plan what's your plan Mm -hmm. what's your plan yep because i was actually just trying to prompt him to like yeah do the thing and i was in a safe way i I was firing back some of it yeah yeah yeah. then we get to make jokes like what that's like 11 percent of a plan yeah (laughs) it's barely even a thought (laughs) because we like to be referential at our game table and then i like the idea like if you're okay with it, to let one character have leverage over another character. Now, this is this is the high stakes play for a high reward. If you just want to keep safe and not like put your game at risk in some way, shape, and or form, or you don't have a bunch of good tools and, and play culture at your table, probably don't do this. But if you're the one that has the leverage, remember to play it only to the point where it's tense and that you can feel it going on like in the background. Like There's always this thing that's there. And then only bring that out when it's time to have a real turning point in your game. Yeah, like, that's the high stakes play, and there's a big reward for doing it, but it can crash and burn if you aren't all on the same page. Yep, yep, that's fair. So, what are some good examples of intercharacter conflicts that can add to games, even though we've talked about twelve of them? Yeah. yeah. So, as Jerry started to mention, we've had some moments in our legacy of the Archmage D and D game where our cleric Carrie was very upset with my sorcerer Candor because he kept putting his life in danger. Way too many times. Yeah, you did. And she <laughs> has to turn around and heal me back up. And it was, you know, like, ah, uh, you know, like consternation and frustration. <laughs> and it's all out of love. Yes. I just don't want to see you die. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's fair, you know. But I kept doing the thing. <laughs> you did keep doing the thing. And honestly, it created some very interesting things in gameplay in a lot of different spaces because the people of my, my family's kingdom started calling me Candor the Unkillable. They did. And I was like, oh, that's bad. Uh-huh. I can't keep going like this if people <laughs> are going to think I can't die. <laughs> I think you were sitting at two deaths, two failed death saves two or three times in that game during yeah. that story arc. During that story arc, uh, twice for sure. Yeah. What about you, Jerry? I had several games when I was running V&V in college where we had players whose characters, because superhero games tend to be very emotional with crossing over character stories that got involved in situations where it took a bit for the players to learn how to do inter-character conflicts, where you had one character who was obsessed with um, acquiring something, and in one case, they, they came across a bunch of juvenile supervillains, went back and forth with, should we take them in? Should we turn them in? You know, do we want to be responsible for these supervillains? Should we just adopt the whole group? Should we send them to supervillain juvie prison? And that became a, almost an entire session of the players discussing the pros and cons of the whole thing. For a while, I had four players. They were evenly divided two and two. 
eventually they sat down and talked, they had to sit down and talk about what are we going to do? How is it going to change the campaign if all of a sudden we're responsible for training a bunch of, uh, a bunch of juveniles and being responsible for the crimes they've already committed and any crimes they might commit once they're under our care? Eventually, the most vocal member of the party said, I think that's going to be the best story we're going to tell. Like that <laughs> makes things more interesting and it'll make things more difficult for Jerry. So let's do it. And uh, <laughs> which is sometimes my <laughs> player's motivation. That's the wrong answer, by the way. It is, but. <laughs> now, by the way, of course, before I even introduced these characters, I already had the idea of what to do with them if the party adopted them. That's yeah, my. That's not there but go. no, but it was just they suddenly realized that this was an opportunity. And that's the thing that could happen with inter character conflicts is they went from being on opposing sides of an argument to looking at what are the opportunities that this situation can bring to the game. It ended up changing the entire scope of the game for them. It was a character arc I was planning on anyway if they took it, but I used to run much more open sandboxy type things. So a lot of stuff I would drop in, they would just ignore and walk away from. This was one that they, that they latched onto and became a linchpin for the, for the end game for the campaign. So it worked really well. Chris? I, I already talked about all of mine. Like, the best ones that I've had are definitely with Alpha and with Bree and with, uh, now with Gunny. Like, these are the kind of stories that I've been dying to tell in role-playing games for years. And I can't, it's harder to do it from behind the screen. And I've done it from behind the screen. There was a really good one, though, in a game that I ran a long time ago where the whole party was, like, very disparate in their goals and ideals and how they wanted to function. And I'll tell you, man, it was interesting to watch these things beside things because it, what I did was I put so much pressure on them from the main plot that they never had time to really like deal with some of this stuff. So it would come out little bits at a time. And as long as I kept putting pressure on them, nothing ever like fully burned itself out. But I would not recommend that being the way to do it today. <laughs> that was a high, high risk, high reward move by me. And I, ha I did have a character that like an NPC that they had kind of adopted to their group. Well, somebody hired him and then somebody started a relationship, somebody different started a relationship with that character and they were two of the opposing people. So having a character that can play kind of peacemaker between those as a game master helped a lot with keeping the peace in that game. There was also the point where somebody picked up somebody's uh, Holy Avenger and burned their hand really bad because they were evil. <laughs> Surprise. Yeah, I know, right? They, they, they had a golden hand then it was blackened. Oh dear. Well, you know, you shouldn't pick up a Holy Avenger when it's not yours. Also true. Especially if you're evil. I don't know if that's a good example of inter-character conflict. That's an example of how you can keep one going and two techniques to do it, which is if you put enough pressure on them, they never really have a chance to deal with some of that stuff. Even if they're all disparately not kind of wanting to work together, you are allies of convenience at that point, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then there's the one where you have a peacemaker that is in there to help smooth things over between the characters. I do not recommend either of those ones these days, but you can do them. They're, they, they work. They do work. I guess that's it, right? That's our discussion of making good inter-character conflicts in your tabletop role-playing games? Yeah. Uh, we hope all this will help you add more dramatic uh, role-playing to your games. Yeah. All right, with that, you should, uh, you should back our Patreon. And if you don't want to back our Patreon, you should just tell people about us. Please do so. Just throw out a message yeah. into the void of social media that is a train wreck these days, saying, if you like gaming podcast and gaming advice podcast, you should listen to Misdirected Mark and every other podcast on the Misdirected Mark Network. Bob, why don't you tell me about another show on the Mr. Eggmark Network? I would love to. We've got a show called Bonus Experience. This one's a hoot. Monica and her friends explore gameplay and design through the lens of diversity while also sharing some of the dumbest humor gaming has to offer. Good times. It's it's a hoot. Good times. Good times. 
Thank you for joining us for Misdirected Mark Plays. Now let's do some Patreon shoutouts to thank those wonderful patrons who support our show. Let's start with the Royal Court. Ty Bronte, also known as Lord Timeogger, Lars Henrik Evjan, the Lord Out of Time, Jim, the Royal Merchant Emeritus, Chromatic Chameleon, the Queen's Spy Mistress, JT Evans, the Queen's Librarian, Schmitty, the Keeper of the Labyrinth, Andrew Dacey, the Warden of Whiskies, Andy Olson, the Duke of Dice, John Carney, the Court Necromancer, and yes, he is evil, Craig, the Lord of One Name, Tiberius Starcrash Smith, the Baron of Britannia, and Kevin Lovecraft, the Royal Beard. Let's hit some other patrons out there, and I'll thank you so much for being our patrons. Chris Constantine, Miko Froelich, Eric Simon, Not That Billy Mitchell, Fiona, Huxley, Kathleen Halperin, Christopher Gamelk, Michael Beck Esperum, Joseph Knoll, Carlos, Heptilemma, Michael Draper, Alice Kira, Jim Fitzpatrick, Brantley Harris, Steve Radabaugh, Rory McLeod, Ninjabi, Joseph Peralta, Brian Kurtz, My Brett, Chris Steele, Jared Rasher, Eileen Barnes, and Brandon Barnes. If you'd like more content like this, you can find it on our website at misdirectedmark.com. Want some more? Go to our Patreon page at patreon.com MMP. There's a bunch of bonus episodes. There's our after show, the Bamboo Lounge podcast, our MM Plays game stuff, like our setting for the this game, the Children of the Shroud. My game development notes for the Lamplighter system are on there. Our character sheets are on there. Our mod stuff is on there. All sorts of stuff is on there. And you get access to our Slack room. And that's important because that's the best way to get a hold of us. But if you don't want to get a hold of us that way, you can reach us using email mmp at misdirectedmark.com. You can also use Twitter. The best place is at misdirectedmark. Now, we have some other shows on this network. We have Pandas Talking Games, The Gnome Cast, Bonus Experience, and Thaka with Advantage. Now, if that's still not enough, we have some friends who make podcasts. There's the Tabletop Bellhop, your board game concierge, the Knights of the Night who make excellent APs, and Mastering Dungeons with Sean Merwin and Teos Abadia. They're still doing their 5th edition thing, and you can catch them on the podcasts or on YouTube. Speaking of YouTube, How to RPG is by Sean P. Kelly of Gaming MBS. It's one of my favorite things going on on the internet on YouTube right now. And if you want a variety of games to talk about, go check it out over there. He is live on Saturday mornings at 9 a.m. Eastern. Well, with that, this has been a Mr. Mark production, the media arm of Encoded Designs. Mic drop. We out.